Welcome to A Window on Samri, where we take you inside South Australia's independent not-for-profit health and medical research institute. Each episode, we get to know the people driving our life-changing research, getting into what motivates them personally and how their work is delivering a brighter, healthier future for all. Andrew, how has dementia impacted your family? It's been, yeah, quite a personal journey and one that's emerged more recently. Um, I was quite protected from it as a young as a young boy. I was fortunate to be naive to the roles of dementia, at least I thought so at the time. I remember seeing my granddad in a nursing home and he, I remember seeing him living in his own home with my grandma. So when I say my granddad, he was my grandma's father. He lived a, a really great life. And then unfortunately he took a turn and had to be put into a nursing home. And it was that point he just took a rapid decline. And as a child, I wasn't really sure why, but just knew that oh, going into a nursing home just meant that was heading towards the end of life's journey. And then more recently on my mother's side, I've seen some of my more senior family members over the past few years go through rapid declines of health. Again, uh, while I was growing up, it wasn't clear to me what was happening. And also just in general, because we weren't really sure what was going on, what the explanation for the changes in behavior were. And unfortunately that had some pretty significant impacts on our family. And it wasn't until only recently that we found out that there was in fact some confirmed diagnoses of dementia. And that was the case for multiple members of my family. And I've now throughout my life, as I've aged, seen the impacts of different types of dementias and the effects that it has on the person when they're locked in a nursing home and the isolation and depression that they go through, the impacts that it has on their other family members. So my grandparents, my parents, their siblings, and it's just, it's really rough for just not the people who have the disease, but also the family members. And that's really what's driving my passion to do more research in this area because the pain that it causes is so far reaching. And so I really want to help not just the people with the disease, but also those who live around them. What symptoms have you seen? It's some of the quite scary symptoms. So anger is a big one. Memory loss is another one. So again, on a personal angle, a member of my family who had it, she lost the ability to recognize her husband of 40 plus years and would just get really angry when this so-called stranger rocked up to see her and he was yeah he was her husband and just looking to have lunch with her and she just didn't recognize him and just would get really angry and physical and it it's uh it's a really scary thing because there's nothing you can really do about it and it's just it's absolutely devastating for the surviving family members how did that impact him uh massively emotionally yeah he was really emotionally damaged by that because you've gone, you've lived your whole life alongside someone, supporting each other, just, yeah, complimenting each other throughout your life. And then suddenly finding yourself in conflict and opposing each other's for reasons that are just out of your hands. And it's just, yeah, it's, he handled it really well up to her passing and then through her passing and he's, uh, he's doing well, but yeah, it was, it was a tough time. It was a tough time. It's very difficult for families because the person who has dementia 
ceases to be who they used to be and they stop being the version of themselves that everyone loves and knows and will hopefully still be able to remember them by. And in a lot of cases, you see the, the big personality change and there's anger, there's frustration, there's people having a very short temper and they become often a very difficult person to be around and try to support and think that's very difficult for families to be able to continue to do once their interactions with that person becomes something that makes them feel sad, something that makes them feel hopeless, um, especially when that person really doesn't remember much or can't recognise people's faces and you have to grapple with what's even the point. I don't, you know, it's so hard to keep showing up for someone who doesn't even recognise me anymore and, of course, most people still do out of love and, and loyalty, but it's quite unique in that way. There's not really any other conditions that take away that part of someone. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it yeah, it really changes who they are and now they yeah, it's that recognition of they're a shadow of their former self or they're just someone completely different. And biologically that's because of the parts of the brain that are affected so we have parts of the brain that are responsible for personality cognition memory and as they get affected by the biological mechanisms of the disease then we see those through various different symptoms so that's why we have different types of dementia and people present in different ways and then yeah these people who live with dementia they they get frustrated because they they don't know why their world is changing, why things are changing to themselves. And they just, yeah, they just, through the way that their brains change, they just lose the ability to recognise faces that they've seen for so many years. I don't think there could be anything much more terrifying than that, than being powerless over yourself and losing your grip on who you've always been. Mm. Such a scary thought to have that happen to you and... I suppose your your brain having to justify the reality that continues to change around you but not being able to make sense of it because it's something that we take for granted, isn't it? Thinking that we know ourselves and how we're going to mm. act and our place in the world and it's not something that's guaranteed and something, dementia is something that a lot of people are experiencing. What are the statistics in Australia for how many people live with dementia? So this year we have about, in Australia, about 480,000 people living with dementia. And why reports are that this is an underdiagnosis. So there are presumably a lot more people that live with some form of dementia. The number is rising and the estimates that over the next 10, 20 years, this number will double unless we're able to do something about it. Why is that? Because we're an aging population, we're a growing population and there's going to, we're living longer and there's just more people will be having to deal with dementia, which is scary when you think about with the existing, a lot of people in aged care homes have dementia and we all know the issues that are going on in aged care at the moment and the stress and burdens that they're under and that the healthcare system's under. And so to think that that burden may be doubled over the next 20 years or so is a pretty scary notion and it's something that really needs to be addressed. And I've read before that there's no two cases of dementia are exactly the same and it can be quite a long decline that goes for years and years and years or it can be something that comes and goes fairly rapidly. So you've got this massive spectrum of what dementia looks like, makes it difficult to diagnose and to understand sort of what stage it's at and there's a lot of things where 
you could put it down to some other condition or obviously as we age, naturally we get a bit more forgetful, but there's a big difference between being a bit more forgetful and not being able to respond as quickly as you used to and having dementia, but difficult necessarily, difficult potentially for people to be able to know what's going on and yeah, know if they should go and get checked. Mm, no, that's exactly right. You've described it really well. There's, we, as we age, all of us will experience some degree of cognitive decline. That's just a natural process. But yeah, it's sort of like there's a gradient and that decline may get more steep or more gradual. And that may what be what leads to symptoms of dementia and actual diagnosis of dementia and other people may not see a diagnosis. And that's where the research that I'm doing is shifting is to seeing, well, what is causing that rate of decline? And a lot of other research is showing that they're in fact steering away from the fact that it's primarily a, just a brain originated disease and that there may be other facets or mechanisms within the body that are contributing to the rate of cognitive decline as we age and dementia. And then what are the effects of other processes that may be impacting this? For example, what other exposures we might see in the world that change the rate in which we decline with our cognition? It's our diet and our sleep and our exercise and exactly what we do for work. All yep. of these things could play a part in whether or not we develop dementia, which I suppose is a good thing in a way because it means that hopefully we have some kind of control over where that goes in the end because I think there's generally been the understanding that dementia is hereditary and you're either going to get it on your not and it's, or you're not and it seems like that's partially true but it doesn't mean that all of those other things don't play a significant role and that's a big part of your research. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the common perception is that, oh, dementia runs in the family, I'm going to get it. So that was I must, one of the concerns that I had initially was that, oh, it seems to be prevalent in my family. That means everyone in my family is going to get it, I'm going to get it. What can we do to stop it? But in fact, no, you're right. Genetics do play a part, but they're not the main, well, they're not the only factor that um, dictates the risk that someone will develop dementia. And it is these other roles, which is becoming more and more increasingly only within the past couple of years that they're really finding that there's things like diet, smoking, education, other diseases like diabetes, heart disease. They're really having a significant impact on the risk of developing dementia. And a lot of these are linked with other, there's commonalities between other parts of the body that are changed in respect to these exposures. So for example, which is what my research focuses on is the gut and smoking, what we drink, that affects our gut health. And that in turn is what may be affecting the risk of developing dementia later in life. And it's these choices or these exposures that we're exposed to over a long period of time throughout our life may be determining how fast someone declines later in life. And the, if this is the case, as you're saying, the good thing is that these are easy to change. We, can, we don't have to look for uh, a silver bullet drug. These are things that we can change person to person and we can help, help guide people and inform communities as well as to how to better protect themselves uh, into the future. Just explain how the gut microbiome is linked to 
dementia and the mm. brain. Yeah, so it's a, it's an emerging area, and it's not one people often think of. They'll think of dementia. They'll think of it's just yeah, what's going wrong in the brain. But what myself and other researchers are finding that actually the microbiome, which is all the bacteria in our gut, is really really integral to our overall health. So there we've we've grown up and evolved with the bugs in our gut, and they have helped. They helped digest food for us they help shape our immune system and they provide the nutrients that our body needs to sustain a long and healthy life and when that changes whether it's knocked out through antibiotics or an unhealthy diet the, there are bad bugs which then the gut that they start to become more active and they don't get wiped out and they start to break down the gut and then they cause inflammation. And so we know diseases like uh, Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, that's really concentrated diseases where there's a high proliferation of bad bugs and that causes these chronic, uh, sorry, high levels of inflammation. And so when we see low levels of this, that's the gut breaking down over time and then these inflammation, inflammation components work their way throughout the body. And a lot of these components can work their way up into the brain. And the research that I'm investigating is that it's these components that are shifting the way the biology works in the brain and maybe accelerates or leads a person towards developing dementia. And it's just through these particular pathways that we could perhaps look to, to target. How did you begin on the path that you're on now? Mm. So I started, it's not a path I was expecting to take. I started my... PhD in neuroscience. So I graduated from university and I was really f fascinated with the brain. I wanted to know how the brain works. And I also had a real passion of wanting to help kids because in my mind, I thought children didn't have the right to be sick. There should no, be no such thing as, a, as an unhealthy or an unhappy child. So I wanted to either help kids or investigate the brain. And I was really fortunate that I was able to find a research area which was looking to investigate the brain in children. And it was a condition which presents symptoms of childhood dementia. So it's dementia type symptoms in children and it's a genetic condition in children where their brain, the neurons in their brain don't develop properly and they start to deteriorate quite quickly in life. And unfortunately for these children, it leads to their death in their teens. And so my PhD was investigating how do these neurons grow and what changes are happening in the brain that may cause these neurons to function differently. So it was a really concentrate, like a really high tech uh, project. And I was very happy to, and very grateful for the opportunity to work with children, which really humanized my research. And I got some really exciting results out of it, which is now helping children at the moment with this disease. And then I was able to make some really good progress there. And then I was throughout those few years, I was impacted personally by family members with dementia and it see, being exposed to the aging community and these real world scenarios, it was, it had a strong impact on me. And after my PhD, the opportunity came up to shift my focus into the world of microbiology, which is the world of the bacteria in the gut. And I've been able to shift my focus into what we call the gut-brain axis, and that's the connection between the gut and the brain. And I do a lot more work with human. So my PhD was more 
preclinical work, which is a lot of cell work. Uh, I now do a lot with people directly. I speak to members of the community that have dementia, that live with dementia, and I work directly with them to try and further the research in dementia in human populations. And it's all, all areas. So I work with aged care. I do with uh, diet-based um, measures, um, a lot of yeah, microbiome-based measures with people in dementia. And it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a big shift from what I did through my PhD, but one that I'm finding really rewarding. Well, just collaborating with people who have dementia themselves or have a family member who has dementia, what does that do for you and your understanding in your work? Mm, it's, it's something that I find really, really important and I think is vitally important to anyone who does research is connecting with the people who have the lived experience. And it is something that we're starting to see more in the scientific community is we, as scientists, we need to be in touch with what's going on in the world and what these people who are living with these conditions, what their experience are, experiences are and what their core problems are. How and does that help for you to understand that in a really raw way? It, it, it just drives home the impact and the significance of what we're doing. And so it helps me with my research say, what, ask the question, what can I do that will improve this person's quality of life? And I'm very grateful that I get to have these conversations with these people and hear from them the hurt that they're going through or that their loved ones are going through uh, and what is core to their improving their quality of life. And that's it just it it's a constant reminder of the impact our research has and it's what really drives me to want to improve basically their the quality of life and ours as we age does this work get to you emotionally it does yes there are particular scenarios where particular situations so going into aged care homes um i think as as an australian community and it may be somewhat controversial but we seem to shift our old as people get older we tend to shift them into a home and it's sort of out of sight out of mind and when we go to these aged care homes it's it's a very challenging place to be and the and it's something that you'll see a lot of uh people with dementia particularly in aged care homes that they also have depression it's quite high and it's just it's a very heavy place and interacting with people there and in working with yeah, the elderly in those situations, it's a very heavy uh, environment and it's what really motivates me to improve the quality of life of these uh, of people in aged care and help shape uh, aged care systems as well. Researchers often say that the job takes over their whole life. Do you feel that way? It's, yeah, it becomes, I think, a way of treating life. Yeah, so it occupies, because... You see the impact, you see the way other people's lives are and you're res in, in a way you're responsible for their lives. Of you, can, you have the opportunity to help change the way that their life is or will be and it's hard not to take that responsibility to heart um, and it, it just really does then really, yeah, gives you the responsibility to be like, I'm, I'm in the opportunity to make a difference here. I've got to yeah jump right in and tackle it with all the ability that I can how do you know when you need a break generally when my brain feels like mush that's when it's yeah. time to take a break yeah it gets to a point where um 
yeah, you just you can't think clearly or it's just been a, a heavy day. And fortunately, unlike the people that have to deal with this, these situations day to day, I, I have the opportunity to step away. And so, yeah, when, it's, when it just gets all a bit too much, that's when I know when it's time to just take a quick break and then approach it fresh. And what do, you, what do you do to rejuvenate? If I need to physically vent, I, I like to keep exercise up, which is good. I like going for a run. That's a really great way to get, get all the pent-up energy out. And then it's sort of a form of meditation as well, which is really great. I really enjoy doing that. In terms of uh, wanting to get the creative juices going a bit, I am a bit of a resident astronomer. I really love digging into astronomy. And um, in particular, I'm looking into astrophotography, which I think a lot of the passion came from during my PhD, spent a lot of time on the microscope, was looking at all the brains on, on the slides. And now I've sort of just angled the scope up towards the sky and looking to capture all the wonders of the universe. And it's really funny how a lot of the similarities, I think, between the brain and the universe, and I think which is, I've always been drawn to space. Um, and it's just, I, I listened to lectures by Stephen Hawking and other physicists and the links between the universe and our biology, there's some interesting overlaps there. Does it feel like we might not ever fully understand our brain, just like we might not ever fully be able to get a grasp of the uh, infinite abyss out there? Uh, no, I think I'm perhaps cautiously optimistic or perhaps quite optimistic, but I think we're, we're making strong grounds towards our understanding. Re recent advances are just we we moving our science is moving really rapidly and i think we're we're shifting the way we think particularly we're dealing with the complexities of the brain and i'm fortunate to be in a position where i'm able to pursue new angles to the way we think and that that perhaps may be unlocking some of the answers which are hidden away for the brain do you think ai is going to play a role in the rate of progression perhaps it's some of the technologies move really fast where it always brings to mind to me the quotes from jurassic park where it's like we we scientists moved like did what they wanted to but didn't ask whether they should that sort of thing um but i think ai in particular will uh will help it's it really helps take away some of the it may have an impact which may not be directly apparent to us or we might be a bit fearful of at the moment, but it may take away some of the more menial tasks so we could get it to do some of the more, yeah, some of the more mundane tasks and allow us as humans to focus on the more creative angles of trying to answer research questions. We could get it to do some of that number crunching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your Samri's inaugural Bright Accelerator, which means that some of the funds raised by the last Bright Walk have gone towards supporting your research. What opportunity has that created? It's been a wonderful opportunity and I was really grateful and honoured to be awarded as the Bright um, Ambassador for Samri for this year and the inaugural one. It was an amazing surprise and just, yeah, I was just so thrilled to be a recipient of that. And it's really allowed me the opportunity to pursue the research that I want, which is wanting to improve the quality of life for uh, elderly Australians, particularly those in aged care. So I'll 
I'm using this funds to work with researchers also at Samri who are really experienced with aged care and people in aged care across the entire country. And I'm looking to connect that with dementia, cognitive decline and impacts on the gut microbiome. So what I'm specifically looking at is how people with cognitive decline, how they deteriorate in, with their impairment to dementia in aged care and perhaps what they might be exposed to during aged care and leading up to aged care that determines that rate of decline, which goes to what we were speaking about earlier was that are people exposed to various things which may change the way that they, uh, the rate at which they develop de- uh, dementia. What's it like to go to work knowing that your work's being funded directly by the community that you're trying to help? It it really reinforces that significance of what I'm doing. So, and it just really makes me all the more motivated because, yeah, this research is being funded by the community and I interact with the community and I'm, this work will be bettering the community. And while the people who are funding the research may not see the benefits for themselves uh, right away, it just has massive impact for their loved ones and maybe themselves in the future. And that's just what gives me that added, like, but uh, responsibility of like you're saying like taking over your life like I've got this I've got this responsibility now to I've had this trust placed in me I'm going to do my bit and um, just really push to cure or prevent dementia which sounds like a yeah a big optimistic goal but that that's my mission you've got the fire in the belly exactly tell us about the last cricket match you played <laughs> the last cricket match I played so I played cricket with school which is a number of years ago now. And I was a terrible batsman. I just was, I think it was the fact that I just didn't really grow until I left school. And so it was one of those instances where like the bat was almost bigger than me. Um, but I was a pretty good bowler and um, regularly took wickets. Um, and then in the final game, I took the two wickets with the last two balls on the game and then finished on a hat trick and I haven't played since. So always on a hat trick. So was there a retirement speech straight after that one? (laughs) I didn't intend on stopping, but that's just how it worked out. So I've been reluctant to pick up the ball since. You can't really top that, I suppose. (laughs) Better to quit while you're ahead. Exactly. Where do you envision dementia research being by the end of your career? I think it will take the shape similar to the way that cancer has. So cancer has really, it started in the seventies, similar to where dementia is now. And it's grown into such a internationally like, uh, recognized and collaborated on, uh, unit. There are institutes all around Australia and around the world that focus exactly on improving cancer and dementia is increasingly, we're seeing becoming like it's uh, having a more and more of a significant burden on our community and we think we really need to really push this forward and so we need to make efforts of you know, really bolstering locally and internationally how we tackle it and it's going to require yeah, different ways of thinking which we're starting to see the shifts now and I think by the time my career is through it's it's difficult to picture with the rate at which science changes But I'm hopeful that we'll be at a point where dementia, how it how it's affected from person to person, we'll have an understanding of that based of how 
we as researchers are connected throughout the community across the world and in different fields. So not just within, say, neuroscience, but other forms of science and also other forms altogether, multidisciplinary teams. And we'll have an understanding of how it's developed and we might have ways of preventing it and ways of treating it. That would be how I would hope to see status of dementia care by the time that my career finishes up. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Karen. If you want to learn more about Samri and the researchers working to build a brighter, healthier future for you and your family, head to samri.org.au.